This morning, we're continuing in our series on discipleship called Follow Me. We're looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And we've defined a disciple of Jesus as someone who orders their lives around the message and mission of Jesus, okay? And so if we're gonna do that, we gotta know what that message is. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. Um, And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Mark 1, verses 14. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll have the words on the screen behind me. And I invite you to follow along with me as I read this aloud for us. So Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Amen. Will you pray with me again? Um, God, we are grateful for this morning. We are grateful for your word um, that you've given us. We are thankful that you are still speaking to us today um, because your word tells us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but God, your word um, remains forever. Lord, it is unchanging because you are unchanging. Lord, it is still true for us today. It is still relevant. Um, Lord, we pray that, he, that we would heed it this morning and Lord, to hear your voice. God, we pray that your, wo- your word would um, be deeply rooted in our lives and Lord, to bear fruit Lord, for your glory and God, for our good. Uh, We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. In the summer of 2004, um, if any of you can remember that summer, 2004, there was a movie that came out, a movie that came out five years after M. Night Shyamalan's um, hit suspense thriller, The Sixth Sense. Anyone seen The Sixth Sense? It's not a movie I necessarily encourage everyone to go see, but um, five years after that, M. Night Shyamalan released another movie. And because of the reputation that he had built for himself, as well as the trailer for this movie, many people went into seeing this new movie with certain expectations. They came into expecting a really good, scary movie, and what they got was a movie called The Village. Now, have any of y'all seen The Village? Anyone? Um, It's a movie that I um, really do enjoy. Once again, it's not a movie I necessarily encourage everyone to go see. It does have some, some scary elements, but it was not the scary movie that many people thought that it was going to be. They came in with certain expectations, and those expectations were not met. Um, And even among those who enjoyed the movie, like myself, there were differing understandings of what the message of the movie was. Like many storytellers, authors, or film directors, they will write a story, but they won't always come out and explicitly tell us what the meaning of the story is, what the meaning, what their message is, right? They kind of leave it up to us to find our own meaning in it. Um, If we look at the life of Jesus, um, we see the, the Messiah who has come, the Old Testament, all of, the, all of it points us towards Jesus. Um, and many people, when he came, they had certain expectations of what it would look like when the Messiah came. And as we know from reading the Gospels, when Jesus came, he did not meet everyone's expectations. We can immediately think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? He didn't really look like what they thought he was going to look like. And many people... Even people who um, followed Jesus, who enjoyed the story of Jesus, even among them, sometimes they did not understand his message. We see this with um, the Apostle Peter, who uh, shortly prior to Jesus laying down his life for us, 
Jesus is telling Peter what's about to transpire. Peter should know at this point what Jesus came to do. Peter knows the Old Testament. He's been spending the last few years following Jesus and being taught by him. And Jesus tells him that he's about to go lay down his life. And what does Peter do? He tells Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus rebukes him strongly. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. We find this in Matthew 16. And I believe that this story, this, what Jesus says is true about all of us. We are all prone to have our minds set on the things of man rather than the things of God. That's a condition that we were all born with, seeking the things of this world rather than the things of God. Um, we are all born with this corruption in our hearts. And because of it, we miss the point sometimes of why Jesus came. Even sometimes when he speaks, we misunderstand it. If you look at our culture today and you ask them what the main message of Jesus is, you will hear some different answers. Some people will say that the main message of Jesus is one of love and acceptance. Shannon talks about this often, that it is, of course, Jesus is loving, right? That he is accepting, he loves us, but but this gospel of love and acceptance is one that is void of any recognition of sin, one that does not call us to repentance. Basically, we get to continue loving the things of this world, not the good things of this world, right? Because God created a good world, but I'm talking about sin and the brokenness of this world. Um, in, in this gospel, we get, to, we get to continue living that out with ever turning from our sin and turning to God. It, it is a denial um, it's a denial of sin. There's, that's probably the most common message in our culture today. There's also um, the false message of prosperity, right? That God just wants you to live your best life now. He just wants you to live long and prosper. Um, but when you, I mean, this is foolish when you look at the, the first followers of Jesus, right? Um, Ten, ten of the disciples are martyred. One of them is crucified, hanging upside down. One of them is exiled for the rest of his life. Um, Paul was beheaded, right? This isn't, um, of course, obviously from the teaching of Jesus himself, he tells us to um, deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and follow him. He calls us to take our eyes off the things of this world and place them on Jesus. The prosperity gospel tells us that God just wants us to have our best life now and to enjoy all the things of this world. The, the, a third false message is that God just wants us to try harder, right? He wants us to earn our salvation, earn our standing before God. If we keep his rules well enough, we can hope that at the end of our lives, the amount of good that we do outweighs the bad. And if we do that, then we get to go to heaven. Um, this sentiment was expressed um, not too long ago. There was a famous politician, a well-known politician, who basically said just this. He said in arrogance, the day that I die, I'm not even going to stop at the gates in heaven. I'm just going to march right on in because of all the good that I've done in this world. Um, this is a very false understanding of the message of Jesus. But um, unlike many other stories, though, where we, we, can, we can read this story or watch this movie, we are not left on our own to find meaning in it. We, we look at the story of Jesus, and we find Jesus explicitly tell us 
what his message is. He explicitly tells us why he came and what his invitation is to us. We find this in Mark 1.15, that the kingdom of God is at hand and our invitation is to repent and believe. All right. So this morning, we are going to look at the fact, this one fact, that the kingdom of God is here. It is at hand. It is in our midst. And Jesus says that we can receive that kingdom. The only way that we can do that, there is no other way. The only way that we can do that is by repenting, repenting of our sin and turning to Jesus, believing in the gospel. Okay. So let's begin looking at that fact. What does it mean that the kingdom of God is here? Well, in Jesus, we see that the true king has come, amen? That God, and God's kingdom, we understand it, that God's kingdom is wherever Jesus is held as king. Jesus came to, to seek and to save people that were once not a part of his kingdom, right? All of us were born today, I hate to break it to you, we were not born as citizens of the kingdom of God, um, like I said, we were born seeking the things of this world. We were born as citizens of this world apart from God. But God is the true king who comes, and he does not come with a sword defeating all of his enemies. He comes and he lays down his life for his enemies so that his enemies might come to understand his love and to find newness of life as his children, as citizens of his kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, we see sinners being forgiven. We find people who were once dead in their sin and enslaved to it now find newness, finding newness of life and freedom from their sin in Jesus. We find redemption, we find restoration. And Jesus has accomplished the victory of this kingdom. Jesus is the one who, he lived the, a perfect life in our place. Because all of us, because of our sin, our identity as citizens of this world, and because of our sin, we all deserved punishment for that sin. Because God is a holy and righteous God. He is a God that must punish sin. And so we all deserved death for that. We all deserved God's wrath. We could never earn our way back into God's favor. But what Jesus did was he came and he lived the perfect life that we could not live. And then he died on the cross in our place. We deserve that death. But Jesus came and he received all the wrath of God that we had been heaping up in our lives. And he died in our place. And then he rose again three days later in victory. And he's alive forever now in his glorified state. He's seated at the right hand of God, the Father. And one day he's going to come back. And see, he has already won the victory. His kingdom is victorious, right? And Jesus is going to one day return and to finish the work that he has already begun. He's going to finish the work that he's already accomplished. But right now, there's another fact that we still live in this broken world. We open our eyes, we, we watch the news and we, we think to ourselves, this does not look like the kingdom of God, right? We, we, we see hurricanes, we see violence, we see racism, we see all the effects of sin in our world today. We see all kinds of brokenness. That's because we still live in this state of the already and not yet. God's kingdom is here, but it's not yet 
fully here. There's still brokenness because there is still a kingdom of this world that is still here. God in his ultimate sovereignty has allowed this kingdom to be under the dominion of another king, a false king. Second Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that it is the God of this age. It says the God of this age who is Satan himself, that he is working to blind the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it describes him as a roaring lion seeking whoever he can devour. This is his main purpose in life is to blind us, to keep us from seeing the true king for who he really is, to keep us from coming into his kingdom, to keep us from from entering into God's kind and gracious rule and bowing to him. The God of this age, this false king, wants to hold on to this world as long as he can, and he wants to bring as many of us with him as he can, and he's active in this world. This is the spiritual warfare that 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 we experience. There are these two kingdoms that are at war with each other, there is no third kingdom. You are, either, you are either a citizen of the kingdom of God or you are a citizen of the kingdom of this world. There's no middle ground. Either Jesus is your king or the king of this world is your king by default. There is no other, there is no other king. And Jesus tells us that we can enter into his kingdom. We can, we can have the king of this world, our king, no longer we can turn to Jesus and to have him as our king, to, under, to know his kind and gracious rule, to have him reign in our lives. His invitation to us is to repent and believe. And repentance and belief are two sides of the same coin. You can't, you can't have one without having the other, although so many people in our world today think that you can you cannot inherit the kingdom of God if you are not going to, if you will not, if you refuse to repent of your sin and to turn from it. You cannot, cannot have Jesus as your king without your back turned to the things of this world. If we, if we come to know Jesus as our king, we can only do so as we turn from our sin. This is why repentance was such a key element of Jesus' message. You find it several times, talking, Jesus talking about repentance in the Gospels. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke 5, 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 13, verses three and verse five, Jesus says this twice. He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And yet, what the prominent understanding of what the message of Jesus is in our culture is that Jesus just loves you just the way that you are and he doesn't want you to change. Um, He just wants you to embrace all of your sinful desires and just live them out because they're a part of who you are. Jesus is telling us that you cannot become a citizen of his kingdom unless you turn from those things, unless you're willing to do that. Um, We have to understand what true biblical repentance is, too. In Romans 12, 2, Paul tells us that that we must not be conformed to the patterns of this world any longer, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
We have to begin to see things differently. We have to begin to see Jesus for who he is and be able to, in light of that, be able to see the, the evil of our sin. But it can't just stop there with a change of mind. Because repentance is also, it has to have a change of heart. Repentance means having a change of heart as well. Um, growing up, I, I still do have two brothers. I've got an older brother. He's three years older than me. I've got a younger brother who's three years younger than me, and so I was in the middle, and I was already a competitive kid, but growing up with an older and little brother, I was just terrible. I was so competitive with them, and uh, I was competitive with my older brother because I wanted to prove that I could keep up with him, and I was competitive with my little brother, Colin, because I didn't want to subject myself to the shame and embarrassment of losing to my little brother. Um, and it didn't matter what, what the game was, whether it was a game of 21 on the basketball court, or it was a game of Mario Kart, or it was a game of Catan. Anybody play Can Settlers of Catan? We still play that, and we still get competitive, and I've got to repent of that often. Um, or whether it was who could tell the funniest joke, I was always competitive with my little brother and my older brother. And I remember one night, we had, um, we had some friends from church come over. Um, and my parents were inside with their friends while my brothers and I were outside on our driveway with our friends. We were playing, we were playing a game of roller hockey. Do people still play roller hockey? Um, we, we were playing some roller hockey, it was awesome, but the game started getting competitive and my little brother was on the opposing team. And as things started getting competitive, we began embracing the spirit of hockey and we began getting into a fight, of course. We started wrestling with each other and luckily we had moved to the lawn at this point. So when we were wrestling and putting each other in headlocks and throwing each other down, the ground was a little bit more forgiving. Um, but I remember one point, at this time, I was still a good bit bigger than my little brother. He's now bigger than me now, and he could probably take me on now. But back then, I, um, I could, you know, I could beat him up um, I, 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 if I wanted to. But in this, I did a very sinful thing, <laughs> and I took advantage of him. I tripped him. I pushed him down, and as he was falling, he, of course, braced himself with his hands, and as he fell back, he broke his arm. And... Um, in this moment, I immediately understood that what I had done was very wrong, but in that moment, I was still very angry and competitive, and I, um, and I, and I felt no remorse for what I had done. And so Colin takes off into the house to tell my parents, and as I see this, I realize I've got to beat him to my parents. I, I've, there's no way I'm going to get out of this, but I know that if I apologize first, um, and let them know what I did, then I can lessen the sentence of punishment, you know? And so I go, I apologize to my parents, let them know, I, I know what I did was wrong, I apologize to Colin, but there is absolutely no remorse in my heart at this time. Not until later um, did I actually come to a re truly repentant heart for this. Um, but this is not true repentance, right? And we, we've all been there. Um, and I, I'm afraid sometimes even as Christians, we can apol apologize to God, even confess our sin to him, but there's absolutely no change of heart. We are continuing in our sinful behavior, in our sinful attitudes, and we are apologizing to God simply to get him off our back in our minds, you know? We're apologizing to God just to keep him happy with us because we think that's how it works. 
but it's really not how it works. True repentance, it means a change of mind, but it also means a change of heart. And when this happens, when God, when God helps us to see his glory, to see him for who he really is, he also begins to work on our heart and to change it, to help us to see God's glory, and, but also to hate our sin. This is only something that God can do in us, and scripture calls this godly sorrow. But there's also a worldly sorrow. We can come to hate our sin or see it for what it is. We can begin to hate it and feel remorse for it and shame, but we can still, at that point, still not be walking in repentance. In the Bible, um, we see people who come to understand their sin. They know what they did was wrong. They feel shame for it. But instead of running to Jesus, they want run away from him. They run away from God. We see this in the garden. We see this with Adam and Eve. When they realize what they had done, um, they, they feel shame. They grieve over their sin, but instead of running to God, they try to hide from him. They try to hide in the bushes and they begin to sew fig leaves together to hide their nakedness. We see this in the New Testament with Judas after he betrays Jesus. When he realizes what he's done, he, he understands his sin, he grieves over it, but instead of running to God and finding forgiveness, he takes that money that he has made and he goes out and buys a field and he ends his life. He takes matters into his own hands. He doesn't turn to Jesus and trusting him. See, biblical repentance, it requires a change of mind, it requires a change of heart. It also means a change of direction. Repentance is turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. There is no other third way. We are turning away from God, turning away from this world and turning to God, turning to Christ. And we can also call this faith. We can call this true belief. Like I said, there are two sides of the same coin. You can't have one without the other. You cannot truly believe in Jesus, see him for who he truly is, and trust in him without, without, have, without turning from the things of this world too. Right? Jesus calls us to repent of our sins. And as we find him as our savior and as our king, we'll find us repenting of all kinds of things. As we grow in our faith, as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we begin to turn from our greed and, to, and turning to Jesus. And in so doing that, we begin to embrace generosity, realizing that there is nothing that we have been given that has not come from God. Repentance looks like turning from bitterness and resentment and turning towards forgiveness knowing that we can never forgive other people more than we have ever been forgiven by God. God has already forgiven us far more than we could ever forgive anybody else. Forgiveness, it looks like turning from focusing merely on our own needs and turning to looking at the needs of others, caring about them. It's turning from the things of this world and focusing on them and turning to the things of God. So biblical belief is turning to Jesus, trusting in him. And it's also not just a mere belief in him. It, it, you gotta have that trust with it. And I believe that's why you have to have repentance with true belief. 
Everyone here who knows who Vladimir Putin is, we all know who Vladimir Putin is. He's the leader of Russia. We believe that he is the leader of Russia, right? But I don't see anybody jumping out of their seats to go follow Vladimir Putin. I would really hope not. Um, That's because although we know that he is the leader of Russia, he is not our leader. Um, Our pure belief in Vladimir Putin does not make him our leader. So many people just merely believe in Jesus, just like the demons in James 2. Remember, it says even the demons believe in who he is, but they are not turning to Jesus. They're not repenting of their sin and turning to him and trusting in him. I fear that there are many people in this world who want a savior. They want this God of love and acceptance, but they don't really want a king. True belief means we're believing in Jesus as our king. We're forsaking trying to live our lives the way that we want to live them. Seeking to be the own king of our lives. We're turning to Jesus and allowing him to be our king bowing our knees to him. If we want to receive the kingdom of God, we have to surrender to him as our king. There is no kingdom without a king, and Jesus is that king. We've got to run away from the illusion that we can continue loving the things of this world and continuing in them, believing in God, thinking that that's enough to save us. We have to turn from that way of life and to pursue Jesus. And as, as we do this, as we grow in our faith, as we, as we follow Jesus, um, this repentance and faith is something that we also continue in. It is not a one-time thing. Um, we, it, would all be, it would be foolish to say that when we first are saved, there is a moment in every one of our lives, if we are a Christian, there is a moment when we receive newness of life in Jesus, when we are brought from death into life, that is a moment that happens. Um, and that is, the, and in that moment, we, we receive God's grace, we respond to the gospel with repentance and belief, but it would be foolish for us to say then that we don't have to continue believing in Jesus. Um, same thing with repentance, as it is the, it is the other side of this same coin. There is no there is no belief without repentance. Um, I, the Lord was very good to me as a kid, and I came to faith at a very young age because of the faithfulness of my parents to tell me about the love of Jesus and to tell me about the gospel, um, what Jesus came to do to save sinners. Um, and so I, I, I did. I, I placed my faith in Jesus, and I turned from my sin at a young age, And the Lord was also good to me too because he made me very aware of my sin. I was kind of a tormented soul as a little kid. And I I just, I found myself apologizing to God all the time. And I was looking ahead to when I was an adult, when I was like my dad, and I wouldn't have to apologize to God as much anymore. Um, But I have found, and maybe you can relate with me, Um, that as I get older and as I grow in my relationship with Jesus, as I become more and more like Christ, I don't find myself repenting less. Um, In in reality, I find myself repenting more. It's not necessarily because I'm sinning more, but just because God is making me more and more aware of the sin that is found in my heart. He makes me more and more aware 
all of my sinful ambition and sinful motives. He makes me more and more aware of this as I grow in my understanding of who he is, as I grow in my understanding of his righteousness and his holiness. He makes me more and more aware of my lack of holiness and my lack of righteousness. This is a process. God does not reveal all of our sin to us all at once. If he did, that would overwhelm us. But God is so good to us. Um, He reveals our sin to us, but then he continues to do that as we follow Jesus. Um, I believe this is why Jesus says in Luke 3, Jesus says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. J.I. Packer also has this really good quote for those of you who know who J.I. Packer is. He's a wonderful theologian who's still alive. He's in his 90s. He's still alive. Um, But he has this brilliant quote um, that I found while preparing for this message. He says, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. Did y'all get all that? I'll read it again. Repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. As we grow in our understanding of who God is, we grow in our understanding of who we are and what all we've been saved from. God doesn't just reveal to that, reveal all of that to us all at once. It's a process, really. Um, as, as we grow in our understanding of our sin, the sinfulness of our hearts that we were born with, um, God, God redeems us. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we still are in our flesh and we still sin. We still have these sinful desires. So as we continue to follow Jesus, Jesus is calling us to lay aside the weight of sin that clings so closely, it says in Hebrews. And as we do this, as God reveals us, reveals to us the weight of our sin, the depths of it, um, he also increases our joy. As we grow in our repentance and our faith, this isn't something that we should be afraid of. This, is be, this should be something that, that we delight in. We should delight in turning from our sin and turning to God. Because as we grow in our understanding of who we are as sinful people, we also grow in our understanding of how loving God is, right? There, there's, a, there's a parable um, that Jesus tells where he basically asks, he tells people about these two men, one who's been forgiven much and one who's been forgiven little, do I remember this? And Jesus asks the, um, the people listening, he says, which one, which one do you think is more grateful? The one who's been forgiven more or the one who's been forgiven less? And they say, well, of course, the one who's been forgiven more. I believe that as we follow Jesus, what we find is that we are all the people who've been forgiven more. Um, but, and we're just growing and understanding how much it is that we've been forgiven for. We do believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died for all of our sin. We do not continue to repent um, and believe in order to maintain our salvation, right? In order to be saved again. Jesus has already accomplished that salvation at the cross. Jesus has already died for every single one of our sins. But we, but we repent of our sins as we come to realize all the sin that Jesus has already died for, 
and we grow in our love in the love that he has for us, the great love that he has for us. That should increase our joy in him because we all love to be loved. We all find joy in being loved. Um, Tim Keller has another quote that I'm probably going to botch um, because I didn't look at it before I came up here. But Jesus says, you are a far greater sinner than you will ever know, but that's okay because you have a far greater savior than you ever know. Did I get that right, Shannon? Shannon probably knows that quote. But um, (laughs) anyway, but that's so true. We We are more sinful than we know, but God is a far greater God, a greater savior than we will ever know. Um, he, and he loves us more than we know. And we continue in our faith and our repentance. We, we grow in that. Not to maintain our salvation, but as, we grow, but as we grow in our understanding of who God is, is as we seek to follow him, as we seek to become more and more like Jesus, as we seek to become better followers of Jesus, as we seek to become more like Jesus so that we can display him to the world. And as, we, and as we do this, the more and more that we understand, the more and more that we know God's love, the greater we will be able to proclaim that love to others. The more and more that we grow in our um, repentance and faith, the more we get to grow in our joy. Um, as Christians, there is no way of discipleship. We cannot pursue discipleship without repentance and faith. Shannon's been talking about um, these last couple weeks dying to ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following him. We are not made perfect. We are not made perfect the day we become a Christian. We all know that. We all know that we continue to sin. So this is why we must continue in our repentance and faith. Um, Here at Redeemer, I'm wrapping things up, I promise. Um, but uh, here at Redeemer, we like to talk about rhythms that we can incorporate into our lives to help us as we seek to follow Jesus, that help shape us as disciples. Um, we want to be those who orient our lives around the message and the mission of Jesus. And so these, I wanna talk about three rhythms that help us do just that. Um, These three rhythms are personal rhythms, community rhythms, and then corporate rhythms. And I'll explain what I mean by those. We all need to be people who personally follow Jesus and personally remind ourselves of what his mission is. We all need to be people who continually remind ourselves of his gospel. We never outgrow our need for the gospel. So we need to be people who continually remind ourselves that Jesus is our savior, he is our king, and we are sinners saved by grace through faith. And we do this, we we do this by spending time in prayer before God, keeping communication going. The most important thing is by spending time reading God's word. We're going to, we are going to run away from the message of God. We're going to neglect it and forgive it, forget it if we are not spending time in his word, hearing his voice and hearing his message over and over and over again. This message that we find in Mark 1:14 is all throughout scripture. It's not just in this one place. We see the gospel all throughout scripture. So we need these personal rhythms of preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding us of what the message of Jesus is. We also need a community rhythm. And this, this can look like, this can look different in different churches. Um, 
But the truth is, we were not all saved. We did not all become disciples um, to pursue discipleship on our own. God created a body of Christ that we belong to. We need each other. God made us, designed us, needing each other. We need to have Christian friends, sorry, as we pursue the Lord, as we pursue discipleship, we need people. And here at, here at Redeemer, one way that we are proactive in encouraging this, um, we have life groups here, which are groups of disciples, people who are seeking to follow Jesus, that are meeting together in homes, placed all, scattered all throughout our community, who are meeting regularly to study God's word, to encourage each other, to sh- um, share struggles with each other, to share sin struggles with each other and to pray for each other um, and to remember the message of Jesus and to tease out the implications of the gospel. Um, We need those community rhythms. And I encourage you, um, if you are new to Redeemer, um, you're visiting, man, I I would love for you to get involved in a life group. We encourage that. Um, Finally, too, um, we have corporate rhythms of reminding ourselves of the message of Jesus. Um, which is what we're doing this morning here at church, where we meet together as a gathered group of believers, people who have been saved by Jesus. We gather together to sit under his word, to, he- to hear his word, to get to celebrate his gospel, to get to celebrate who he is and what he has done for us. We sing that over and over and over again. Um, You will never leave a Redeemer Church service without hearing the gospel, I assure you, because we're going to sing it. That's the main thing that we sing about about here at Redeemer, is singing about the gospel, singing about what Jesus has done for us at the cross, singing about his love, singing about his grace. And this morning, what a cool morning it is that we get to celebrate baptism which is a wonderful proclamation of the gospel, proclamation of what the message of Jesus is. Um, and as, as we wrap things up today, I want to encourage us all to not to neglect the message of Jesus, not to try to find our own meaning in the story of Jesus. The message of Jesus is that his kingdom is here. We can receive it. We can participate in it today by repenting of our sin and turning to him as our savior and as our king. We still live in this broken world, right? His kingdom's here, but it's, it's already here, but it's, already, but it's not yet fully realized. Um, I told Stephen, when Stephen told me of the songs that he was singing this morning, I got really giddy because I told him, I was like, man, you picked all my favorite songs. And um, he, he, he uh, chose to sing the song, um, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. And I, uh, I love one of the lines in the very last verse where, we're, where we are rejoicing in the reality that Jesus is alive and we get to sing that line, what a foretaste of deliverance, how unwavering our hope, Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes back. Jesus is coming back. He's already secured his victory, but we can experience a foretaste of deliverance. We can experience his redemption now as we turn from our sin, and as we turn to Jesus and trusting him. Amen. So as, as we close today, 
Um, I just wanted to encourage you that if you are someone who has responded to the message of Jesus, if you have responded um, to the gospel and repentance and faith, you've turned from your sin and trusted in him, just wanted to encourage you to continue in your repentance and faith and knowing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Um, God is the author of our faith. He's also the perfecter. He's our sustainer. God does not let us go. He does not let go of his children. He will keep us. And he is at work in us, making us more and more like Jesus. And we can rejoice in that and find great comfort in that. We don't, we don't continue in repentance and faith to maintain our salvation, but we do it as God draws us deeper. And, we, and as we long for a day when we no longer have to repent because we will be made perfect and we no longer have to walk by faith because our faith will be made sight. Um, I also wanted to um, extend an invitation. If you have never turned to Jesus and you've never turned from your sin um, and trusted in Jesus, I invite you um, to do so today. Um, Jesus ready stands to save you as the old hymn says. Um, God loves um, saving sinners. I believe that's how he glorifies himself in this world is by saving sinners. Saving people who were once not a part of his kingdom and saving them so that they can be citizens and recipients of his kingdom. Um, that's all I got today. Um, I just wanted to encourage you all with the gospel and message of Jesus. Um, Stephen comes up um, to lead us in another song. I invite you to pray with me now. Um, Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this morning and this time that you've given us. God, we are grateful for Jesus, who is um, our true king, who is our savior, um, the king who did not come to destroy all of his enemies, but God, he did come to make enemies his beloved children. He laid down his life for us so that we may live. We might find everlasting life in him. And Jesus, God, he is the true and only one, the one who is ever reigning on his throne, the one who is one day returning to make all things new. He's coming back to put an end to brokenness, to put an end to sin, to put an end to death and pain and suffering. There will be no more of that when he comes. And God, we are grateful for that. Um, we are grateful for the reality, though, that his kingdom is here and we can experience it now. As we turn from our sin and as we trust in him, we find redemption in Christ. Lord, would you please come and have your way with us? Would you please make us more and more like Jesus and use us, God, as your citizens, use us to make known your glory, to advance your kingdom. Lord, we love you. It's because you have first loved us. And we do not boast in the work of our own hands, our own efforts this morning, but we boast in Jesus, the one who gave his life for us. God, we praise you. We thank you. We worship you this morning. Um, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.